We will be reading this morning from 1 Corinthians chapter 5 as we look at uh, the keys of the kingdom, including church discipline. Uh, We read there, uh, God has sworn to grant deliverance and restore us to our place. And of course, uh, this Lord's Day is the last Lord's Day in the section of the catechism on deliverance. So a part of our salvation is the work of the church in administering the keys of the kingdom of God. And so we will read the entirety of of 1 Corinthians chapter 5 as the Apostle Paul deals with a discipline issue in the church at Corinth. This is God's word. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit. And as if present, I've already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world, or the greedy, or swindlers, or idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality, or greed, or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler. Not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. This is God's holy word. um, And we will turn now to our catechism, which is seeking to summarize and, and teach that word to us in a way that It can be uh, learned and applied to the life of the church today. So uh, we will begin on page 886 in the back of our Trinity Psalter hymnals, the same hymnal we just sang from, uh, the Heidelberg Catechism, along with the other three forms of unity, and the Westminster Standards can be found in the back. And on page 886, uh, we find Lord's Day 31, question 83, and we will read this responsively. What are the keys of the kingdom? The preaching of the holy gospel and Christian discipline toward repentance. Both of them open the kingdom of heaven to believers and close it to unbelievers. How does preaching the holy gospel open and close the kingdom of heaven? According to the command of Christ, the kingdom of heaven is opened by proclaiming and publicly declaring to all believers, each and every one, That as often as they accept the gospel promise in true faith, God, because of Christ's merit, truly forgives all their sins. 
The kingdom of heaven is closed, however, by proclaiming and publicly declaring to unbelievers and hypocrites that as long as they do not repent, the wrath of God and eternal condemnation rest on them. God's judgment, both in this life and in the life to come, is based on this gospel testimony. How is the kingdom of heaven closed and opened by Christian discipline? According to the command of Christ, those who, though called Christians, profess unchristian teachings or live unchristian lives, and who, after repeated personal and loving admonitions, refuse to abandon their errors and evil ways, and who, after being reported to the church, that is, to those ordained by the church for that purpose, fail to respond also to the church's admonitions, Such persons the church excludes from the Christian community by withholding the sacraments from them. And God also excludes them from the kingdom of Christ. Such persons, when promising and demonstrating genuine reform, are received again as members of Christ and of his church. Well, when I was... uh, a young driver, my daughter is 16 years old, and she started driving, and it's a very interesting experience for a parent. But I flash back, and I had this flashback just recently uh, to my first few years of driving. I had a really bad habit. I used to lock my keys in the car a lot. It happened like six or seven times in a few years of high school, and it was really obnoxious. I got really good at an older vehicle using a coat hanger and putting it over the window and undoing the latch. Um, But you've all had the experience of of losing your keys, right? Whether you lose them in the thing that they're locked inside of, like a vehicle, um, or on another occasion, uh, this is five or ten years ago, I locked myself out in my backyard, which is really quite easy to do. And I had to jump over fences to get around the block and uh, get back to the front of my house. Um, It's a bad feeling when you lose your keys. You're kind of powerless. You can't get where you want to go. And um, you, you feel a little stupid, a little foolish as well, perhaps. But our topic today is the keys of the kingdom of God. And I, I tell these silly stories because uh, I think we've, we live in a day and an age when we've lost the keys of the kingdom of God. Um, the church, in many ways, uh, is a little powerless. Um, not in that the church of Christ is ever lacking power. But in the eyes of God's people. In the eyes of the world. In the manner in which many people uh, behave. And so I want to talk a little bit about that and explain what I mean uh, by that claim. And uh, first exploring what the keys of the kingdom are and how and in what ways they've been lost and how we can and shall uh, recover them. And so it's important uh, that we, again, locate ourselves in the big picture of the catechism. Uh, This is the conclusion, the climax of uh, part two of the catechism on deliverance. Our catechism says there are three things which you must know to enjoy Christian comfort, guilt, grace, and gratitude. How great your sins and misery are, what God has done to deliver us from our sins and misery, and how we are to live in response in gratitude. And uh, we don't often think of the church, the Those ordained to serve in the local church, it's authority as a part of God's deliverance. But it is. It is a part of his saving work, the Spirit's saving work today in the world. 
And so that's why this topic of the keys is very important. Well, what are the keys? The catechism has a a very nice, uh, succinct answer. The preaching of the Holy Gospel and Christian discipline toward repentance, both of them open the kingdom of heaven to believers and close it to unbelievers. Preaching and discipline. Note that both uh, of the keys focus on the gospel. Both focus on faith. They open the kingdom to believers. They close it to unbelievers. So the the keys are the ministry of the church in service of uh, the gospel of justification by grace alone, through faith alone, on account of Christ alone. And this title, this term, the keys of the kingdom, comes to us from Matthew's gospel, uh, Matthew 16, uh, the confession of Peter at Caesarea Philippi. Simon Peter replied when asked, uh, who do you say I am? He replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. Christ is building his church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. So the image of the key in context of uh, this New Testament time is of a steward. Uh, Ministers of the gospel, elders in Christ's church, are stewards in God's house. We are servants. Um, We open and close. We grant access. We serve at the bidding of our master. Um, I thought in this connection of uh, the old television series Downton Abbey and the important role in that great house uh, that the butler Carson played. Uh, he had access to the liquor cabinet. <laughs> he had access to the silver. He, had, he policed the front door and entrance and access to the family. And so this idea of, of the keys here introduced in Matthew 16 is, is extended, uh, the idea of binding and loosing in Matthew 18. If your brother sins against you, and go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, and again, he's, he's addressing the apostles here, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I say to you, to the apostles, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Now that latter verse about two or three being gathered, I think in a, in a broad evangelical or revivalist context is often meant to mean that wherever you get together with a couple of people, you have a church, right? In a very broad egalitarian sense. But the context here is church discipline. The context here is that no individual exercises the keys alone, that the church in its assembly, uh, in its leadership exercises uh, the keys So the church acting in concert has the power of a steward or minister or servant in God's house to bind and to loose, to grant and restrict access on the basis 
of Christ's gospel testimony. This is a genuine temporal expression of gospel authority. So there are eternal matters, truths, that express themselves uh, genuinely in time and space, even if imperfectly, even if uh, by way of anticipation. John's gospel, tellingly, which is from a very different perspective in John chapter 20, in a different context, in a different setting, the risen Christ uses similar language of binding and loosing. Jesus said to them, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. You'll recall earlier in Christ's ministry, right? When he healed the paralytic. He said, what's easier, to forgive sins or to heal this man, right? And they said, only God can forgive sins. Who does this man think he is? And it's true. Only God can forgive sins. That's why the Holy Spirit is breathed out upon the officers of the church, the apostles, the disciples gathered there. And so divine authority is, as it were, delegated to the church. And that's important for us to remember. We are not talking about elevating men into positions of authority. This is Christ's authority delegated to them in their office. So this binding and loosing activity takes place first through preaching. And I think this would have been, um, although I haven't done a deep study, I must confess, but I, I think this would have been a novel Protestant position. Right, The Roman church would not have emphasized, the medieval church would not have emphasized the preaching as an element of discipline. But our catechism says, according to the command of Christ, the kingdom of heaven is opened by proclaiming and publicly declaring to all believers, each and every one, that as often as they accept the gospel promise in true faith, God, because of Christ's merit, truly forgives all their sins. I love that in the context of the keys of the kingdom and preaching, That the catechism is coming back to the imputed righteousness of Christ. It is on the basis of Christ's merit. And the kingdom of heaven is closed, however, by proclaiming and publicly declaring to unbelievers and hypocrites. That as long as they do not repent, the wrath of God and eternal condemnation rest on them. God's judgment, both in this life and in the life to come, is based on this gospel testimony. The keys are a general application of gospel witness. Um, This is one of the reasons that preaching has a unique place in the Christian church. And that preaching is a a public declaration. Um, The preached word comes to us from outside of us. It's different from sitting home and reading your Bible. And I would argue that it's different from sitting at home and listening to a sermon online. The public declaration of the word says that all of the sinners in this room have equal access to Christ. And it is validated by its public office. The lack of faith or hypocritical false faith are grounds for the wrath of God and condemnation. We see here a pattern of preaching law and gospel, right? We preach both the curses for those that do not believe. And the blessings for those that come to Christ in faith. The gospel is not found within us, brothers and sisters. It's not discovered by our uh, reason or our revelation. You might have heard um, some person sometimes say, well, you know, I, I love hiking. I encounter God in the forest. I love golfing. 
I encounter God on the ninth fairway. I can do those things on Sunday morning and, and have communion with God. But you will not be sitting under the preaching of God's word. You will not be gaining access to the kingdom of heaven in those places. For nature does not reveal to us a merciful God, but a powerful and a holy God. It does not reveal to us Christ and his grace. The church uniquely has been given this ministry. Um, we live in a world where there are many parachurch ministries. These, these are organizations that come alongside the church and do and assist the church in various works, whether it be publishing or media or, or lending uh, material aid to people in need. Um, Christians, wonderful, well-meaning Christians do incredible amounts of good work. Some people in this room work for Christian organizations. God be praised for that service, for that blessing. Those organizations, however, do not have this authority. It's been granted to the church. This is one of the ways the keys have been lost in our world. Because the idea of Christian ministry has become something that everyone does equally, right? We all have our own ministries. But this is the Christian ministry. I should say these are the Christian ministries. The churchly ministries. And so this isn't to minimize that we do have our callings as believers to serve in this world as Christians. But we need to have a, a capital M for the ministries of the church, right? And a lowercase m for the ministries in our neighborhoods, in our communities, in our families. Personal evangelism is not the ministry of the keys of the kingdom. Our catechism points us to the public declaration. It's uh, the same, nor is it the same as just an individual sharing the gospel. Wonderful thing. We're talking about that in our Thursday night study. How to talk about your faith. How to, how to lead people in conversations to things that matter and of deep eternal significance. The church speaks with an authority granted to it by God. It's an authorized word from God. And that's why it's not about Brian Lee as a person. But it's about the office of minister of word and sacrament. That has been established by our church with uh, pretty rigorous criteria for entry into this office and maintenance of this office. I've taken vows and oaths to this end. And this is why we speak of this ministry, the church's ministry, as a means of grace. And back in question 65, we, we already began this section after the, the, the going through the creed by saying, if it's by faith alone that we share in Christ and all his benefits, where then does that faith come from? The Holy Spirit works it in our hearts by the preaching of the gospel and confirms it by the use of the holy sacraments. These are means of the Spirit's activity in the lives of believers. The second key, then, is discipline. How is the kingdom of heaven closed and opened by Christian discipline? According to the command of Christ, those who called Christians profess um, those, those who, comma, important comma, though called Christians, profess unchristian teachings or live unchristian lives, and who after repeated personal and loving admonitions... Refuse to abandon their errors and evil ways. And who after being reported to the church. That is to those ordained by the church for that purpose. In our local context here. This is what we call our consistory made up of elders and ministers. Those who thus reported failed to respond to the church's admonitions. The warnings, the urgings, the pleadings of the church. Such persons the church excludes from Christian community. By withholding the sacraments from them. And God also excludes them from the kingdom of Christ. 
So we acknowledge that there is a distinction. God also does this thing. But the church is called to manifest this eternal heavenly judgment to the best of its abilities in its limited temporal capacity to the outward exercise of the communion of the saints. Such persons, when promising and demonstrating genuine reform, are received again as members of Christ. Discipline, it's important to remember, is closely related to discipling. (laughs) And so discipline is not only this negative application of, of the exclusion from the sacraments, the excommunication from the communion of the supper, but it also takes place positively in the reception of believers into membership, in the public profession of faith, which we've seen here in recent weeks at Christ Reformed Church, in um, in admitting to Christian community and sacraments. It is exercised in baptism with new adult converts, as well as the baptism of our children, and in the regular exercise of the Lord's Supper. It's on the front inside cover of our bulletin. When we uh, warn and admonish those who are not members of a church of Jesus Christ, as we describe it there, to not come to the supper, that's the exercise of Christian discipline. That's all positive. And yet, in some cases, we are grieved to say and to acknowledge that some who call themselves brothers, who call themselves Christians, yet go on to profess unchristian teachings or live unchristian lives. It is a judgment of the assembled church reflected through the elders. Now, some of our friends who are members of Congregationalist Church, churches, Capitol Hill Baptist Church down the road, um, I know this, I've had conversations with some of their elders and some of their members. When they exercise church discipline, they do it in a congregational meeting with the vote of the entire congregation. That is not the way we practice discipline uh, in a Reformed church and not in most Presbyterian churches either. Here, discipline is, is uh, practiced and exercised by the elders and pastors on behalf of, representative of, the Church of Christ. And it's important here, as it is stated, that discipline is always with the goal of repentance. It never has the goal of driving someone from the life of the church. That's why the initial pleadings are always for repentance. And even when uh, Paul hands over uh, to uh, discipline in 1 Corinthians 5, the goal is that the soul might be saved. In 1 Corinthians 5, uh, we see that Paul says in verse 2, Let him who has done these things be removed from among you. That is the, the movement, the warning, the enforcement of excommunication. He says, When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus. It's Christ's power exercised by the church. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. This tells us, Why discipline is important. The church is called to be the holy spotless bride of Christ. If she tolerates public visible sins in her midst. She blemishes the name of Christ. And it spreads. It spreads because people say well sin is tolerated in this communion. And many many churches today in our world do tolerate sins. Brothers and sisters the work of discipline is is very painful. And it's very hard. It takes uh, much time and energy Um, We, in our uh, Reformed Church government, we don't proceed to the extreme outcome of discipline, to excommunication, or to any public announcement of discipline uh, by name. We don't proceed there without first going to our sister churches and praying together 
and getting their wisdom on the matter. So we go in our regular meetings of classes, like a presbytery meeting. And so those happen every six months. We go very slowly through this process uh, because we, we understand that human assemblies may err. It's interesting here that, that Paul says, I'm not telling you not to associate with sexually immoral people, <laughs> right? You see this interesting distinction between those who are members of the church and the world outside. He says, if you wanted to stop associating with sinners, you'd have to leave the world. You'd have to go live in outer space. I'm saying don't associate with those who bear the name of brother. And this is very important. We came across in our Ephesians sermon last week, right? A warning. Why there are warning for members of the church. Not because the elect can lose their faith, but because there are hypocrites in the church. The church is a mixed assembly made up of wheat and tares, sheep and goats. That's how Christ views uh, the church in his ministry. And so there are some that bear the name of Christ insincerely. And that's what Paul is talking about. Purge the evil person from among you for your gospel witness, for the well-being of the church, and ultimately and primarily for their salvation. Because Paul's warnings are serious. Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. doesn't mean no sinners, but those who make a practice of pursuing those sinful behaviors or beliefs will not inherit the kingdom of God. So how have these keys been lost? I think as I've talked about these, you've probably all had some reflections that, wow, that's not the way it happens in lots of other churches. Um, Not the view of preaching, for instance. Uh, Preaching is often not viewed as a means of grace. It's often not viewed as God's word coming to us through a minister, as authoritative proclamation. I think we tend to have a view of preaching not as covenant speech, with power and authority to bind and to loose. But we view preaching as information or instruction. Oh, I heard a good word today. I learned something about the Bible. We personalize it. I can learn on my own. We shop around. We have a marketplace. I have a good podcast stream, right? I listen to some good sermons. There's nothing wrong with that. And no one, sadly, is more responsible for the denigration of preaching in our day than, than preachers. <laughs> Christ crucified is the only means of forgiveness in our life is not often the central message of our proclamation. The message which our catechism says here is the focus of the ministry of preaching often falls by the wayside. Instead, we get tips for living, a moral uplift, a feel-good messages. So we all have a part to play in praying for, supporting, and, and, and encouraging the exercise, the faithful exercise of the keys of the kingdom. Calling our young men to consider, to pray about, Training for gospel ministry. It's a part of supporting the keys of the kingdom. Regarding discipline. Ultimately, as as modern Americans, we reject outside authority structures. Right? We are so much concerned. um, We don't have, for one thing, the, the social structure of the local parish church. That earlier centuries might have had. You grow up in a neighborhood and there's one church. And if you are excommunicated, you have nowhere to worship. But here we have probably 20 churches within a few blocks. So you shop around. The vast uh, majority of formal discipline cases, many of them that are considered and prayed about in our assemblies, 
the people just leave. They just walk away. They don't want to do business with the elders of their local church. We acknowledge that human uh, instruments, human assemblies can always err, but we should take quite seriously this admonition of the church. And our membership vows call us to uphold and to submit. We will hear about submission in, in Ephesians chapter 5 this morning, but our church vows say, the fourth vow, do you promise to submit to the government of the church and also if you should become wayward, either in doctrine or in life, to submit to its admonition and its discipline? Brothers and sisters, let me give and close with a few practical examples. If you have conflict in your life, in your marriage, in your home, with your children, and you can't resolve it, you should prayerfully consider bringing it to the church. Bring it to an elder. We'll pray with you. We'll talk with you. We'll, we'll seek to serve, to mediate. Um, membership changes. We live in a highly transitional city and town. Uh, People can move uh, to a new home in the suburbs or a long ways away. And maybe the commute to this church is difficult and you want to find a new church in your new community. People move out of state or back to their homes. Um, Please involve your elders in these moves. These membership transfers are a part of, of our exercise of the keys. And we want to shepherd you until you are under the care of new shepherds. We don't want our sheep to wander away. We do believe that we are charged with the care of your souls. And so please bring those things to us. And if you're struggling with sin, if you're struggling with sin, we don't have, uh, as some churches do, uh, a, a, an office or a sacrament of confession or repentance. But the Lutheran tradition in the Protestant church does have a higher view of confession of sin. And we should absolutely have this view that we might confess our sins to one another or to an elder or to a pastor for accountability, for encouragement, Uh, even private sins. We may do so. And that is good for our sanctification. And so we should strive, brothers and sisters, not only to appreciate the keys, to understand them, but also to seek to help the church recover them. And grow in our use of them. We are not as reformed believers. Lone ranger Christians. Christ has given us the church. As a necessary support. And as a means of our deliverance. From the world, the flesh and the devil. And we can encourage these keys. Also in how we raise and teach our children. uh, About how to respect and understand. The ministry of the church. Finally. Brothers and sisters pray. For your church. Pray for our leadership here in D.C. Pray for our classes, Eastern U.S. Pray for the um, United Reformed Churches in North America. We have a classes meeting this Tuesday and Wednesday. And there are some very weighty uh, matters of, of, um, of dealing with disciplined cases. There always are. But this is a particularly uh, weighty agenda that we will conduct in executive session, not publicly. That portion of our agenda. I ask you to be in prayer this week in particular. For the churches of our classes, for the delegates at that assembly, that uh, God's will might be done and that his kingdom might come. Let's pray. Merciful God and Heavenly Father, you humble us. You remind us that we must submit, each and every one of us, to one another in your church and also to you in and through the church. We pray for Classes Eastern U.S. for our assembly this week. And we pray for Christ Reformed D.C. 
Uh, We pray for those visiting us this Lord's Day for their home churches. That they might grow in faithfulness and exercising of the keys to the kingdom. That we might not lose these keys, but that we might practice them. That we might use them constructively. And also, though it pains us sometimes, use them in the negative instance of exclusion. Merciful God, we thank you that you are a God of mercy. Ever standing as a good father with your arms wide open to the prodigal. Ever standing full of abundance with a a new robe, a ring, a feast. And we pray, dear Lord, for all of those who are under discipline at this time. We pray for them. That your spirit would so work. That gospel ministry would so turn their hearts and soften them. That they would be restored to the joy of their salvation. We pray all these things in the name and through the merit of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.